could all stand for the reading of the word. Luke 19, 1 through 9. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be with the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. You can be seated. The word of the Lord. out this mic, make sure we're not blasting anyone away. Are we okay? Are we okay? All right. So, good morning. I think we did, yeah, probably back that down just a little bit. <laughs> back that down. Okay. So, last week, I was on uh, the seminary campus, I had a chance to meet a guy from Ethiopia named Hinnok, and he and I had been emailing back and forth about a possible visit this summer by some leaders in the Mennonite Church in Ethiopia, which is, the, as I understand it, the largest Anabaptist Mennonite conference in the world, something like 800,000 members. So I go by Henoch's office where he's eating, and I, he, he's sitting at his desk eating. He's got this little plastic bowl in front of him, and I kind of do the American thing of apologize and maybe see if I need to come back again later. But he invites me to eat with him. So I've, I spent a couple years in West Africa, a very normal thing when you're eating in front of someone to invite them to eat with you. Now, a typical response is just to say thank you, and they go on. But, but Hinnock, he wasn't having any of that. Before I know it, Hinnock's like, we're going to eat together. He gets up, goes out of his office, grabs a fork, and the next thing I know, we're sitting at a little table eating injera. If you know what injera is, it's super good. I think uh, Keith knows what it is. It's this spongy, porous, sourdough bread that they eat in Ethiopia. And so we're just sitting there and eating together. How often does that happen in your typical U.S. office? I arrived at Hinnock's office, mostly a stranger, and left something closer to a brother. You're going to need to back that down just a little bit more. How did that happen? It happened over a bowl of injera. It happened over a table. We're in a sermon series on the Great Commission, which is, of course, those last instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples at the end of Matthew's Gospel. And we're taking our time moving through us, and we're kind of bouncing around at some few scriptures, but we're focusing in right now on this command to make disciples, right? And what we've been doing these last few weeks is looking at 
how does Jesus make disciples? What is Jesus' method for making disciples? And the last time, I actually, I think I said something to you like, you can't just give someone a casserole and hope that from that casserole, they figure out the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Witnessing to Jesus involves words. And today my hope is that you will go home and bake a casserole for somebody in hopes that you will communicate the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus through that casserole. Because one of Jesus' primary ways of making disciples was around a table. And we see this in this great little story of Zacchaeus and Luke's gospel, this guy who is so eager to see Jesus, he jumps up on this sycamore tree to get a, a glimpse of Jesus, and before it knows it, his house in Jericho has become an Airbnb for Jesus and probably his disciples. Right? I think, think about what the surprising part of this passage is for us. It's the chutzpah of Jesus to just invite himself over to Zacchaeus' house. As I've heard one, one person put out, Jesus has this great ability in the Gospels to host dinners and parties at other people's houses. <laughs> but of course, in Jesus' day, the crazy thing is not that he's inviting himself over to Zacchaeus' house. We probably know the crazy thing is he's fellowshipping, he's eating with a tax collector, right? Tax collectors are never, I don't think, super popular. A few weeks ago, my youngest son graduated from preschool and they had this video of all the kids uh, showing uh, what they're going to be when they grew up. Lots of firefighters and doctors, not one IRS agent, right? <laughs> not one. But in Jesus' day, it was so much worse, right? Because not only were, were they collecting taxes, but they were doing so for an occupying power, Rome, right? And Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector, right? Meaning, He's got people working under him to collect taxes. He sets collection policies. Right? So you think about this. Even if Zacchaeus does all his work by the books, people are going to despise him. Right? But not only that, we can kind of infer from our passage that Zacchaeus is doing some unethical things as a tax collector. I think it's safe to say that nobody in Jericho likes Zacchaeus. Which is challenging for me because in my mind Zacchaeus isn't despised he's what he's a wee little man and a wee little man was he right I actually went back and watched that song thank you I can always count on Elizabeth it's amazing my wife go back and watch the song he's just a wee little guy on the video on YouTube he's this cute little guy he couldn't harm a fly Zacchaeus Zacchaeus in Jericho is despised. He has everything that is wrong with their society. Imagine in your mind, not a wee little Zacchaeus, but the person that embodies everything that's wrong with our society. That if we're just going to totally get it out on the table and be honest, we can't stand that person. Even that person, I'm pretty sure, is unlikely to be collecting money for you for an occupying power. As N.T. Wright points out, the people of Jericho would have been horrified to think all these thousands of years later, the one guy in Jericho, we all know his name is Zacchaeus. Right? So first thing, we're going to have to understand what's happening in our story. 
We're going to need to recognize how despised Zacchaeus would have been. But there's a second piece of background information that's important. In Jesus' culture, eating with someone meant accepting someone. Right? Table fellowship isn't just about food. It was about friendship and full acceptance, right? Eating with someone was a way of saying, this guy's okay. There's this ancient story uh, told about two warriors who were fighting with each other. And then they discovered their fathers had shared a meal, and they stopped. Like, can you imagine that? Like, man, we can't be fighting. Our dads ate a meal together 30 years ago. We need to stop this. That's, you know, people are upset in our story. They're upset because Jesus, by eating with Zacchaeus, is saying, this guy's okay. This guy, in fact, he's part of our family. Right? He's a son of Abraham. As one of my, my seminary professors in a class on Romans would point out, According to him, the primary question in people's mind at the time of Jesus was not, how do I get saved? The primary question was, how do I become a full member of Abraham's family? Because if you are a full member of Abraham's family, you are part of God's chosen people, meaning you are saved. That is why, like sometimes for us, we read about how big a deal table fellowship is in the New Testament, and we're like, what's the big deal? What's such a big deal about eating with someone? Why does it cause so much fractures and problems? But we've got to know, eating with someone is about so much more than food. It's about acceptance, right? And Jesus is saying to Zacchaeus over this meal, you are one of us. You are accepted. And he does this how? He does it by eating, by drinking with Zacchaeus, by drawing close at a table with Zacchaeus. And this isn't, of course, this isn't the only time Jesus does this. Right? Earlier on in Luke's gospel, he's walking by Levi's tax uh, booth. He calls Levi. Levi drops his job, follows Jesus, right? has a party at his house, a bunch of tax collectors. In Luke's gospel, this seems to be like a primary strategy for Jesus on how to make disciples, to eat with them. Right? We have these, uh, as Tim Chester points out, we have these, this phrase, the Son of Man came, used a couple different times. So in our passage, it actually got cut off. Today, I don't know how that happened, but it should say, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's how this story about Zacchaeus ends. Tim Chester points out, that's a statement of purpose. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to save and seek and save the lost. But there's another time we see that in Luke 7, 34, where it says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. It's like when Chester says, that's like the method that Jesus uses. He came to seek the, and save the lost. How does he do it? In large part, by eating and drinking with them. Something we call hospitality. So we've got this mission statement for our congregation, right? Do you remember what the mission statement is? So I'm going to do this every sermon until we finally get it. I, need to, I should have got a slide. Midway Midnight, welcoming community, nurturing followers of Jesus, Right? And what I want to zero in is on this making disciples is this welcoming. Welcoming can mean a lot of different things. It can mean a lot of different things as a congregation. We, on a, as a congregation, want to welcome people to our Sunday worship. We want to be hospitable, right? But of course, we don't want to just be hospitable in this space. We want to be hospitable throughout the week. And as we've been kind of leaning into this making disciples thing, we're hopefully starting to realize this isn't just a preacher thing or a leadership team. This is a we thing, right? Like it's the call of every disciple to go out and make disciples. And what we're also talking about is that it probably it doesn't primarily happen here, does it? 
There's, there's important stuff that happens here. Where does disciple-making happen? It's usually out there. And one of the ways we see Jesus makes disciples and the way we make disciples today out in the world is by inviting them into our homes, onto our, into our tables. And one of my favorite stories, if I can use you, Pat, I think I got permission kind of, about the way you at Midway have done this is Pat and Rudy's um, uh, raised story of how they ended up at Midway. You, most of you probably know this story. Uh, for a while, I hope I'm getting this right, Pat and Rudy would come and sit in our parking lot and ask the question, I wonder if we could go there. I wonder if we could be accepted at this Mennonite uh, congregation. And one Sunday, I think with the help of Pastor Larry War, they did come. And you know what happened after that first service? They got invited to a meal. And you know what happened the next week they came to Midway? They got invited to a meal. And the next week, and the next week. I think it went on for like six months, did you say, Pat? It was a beautiful... Ex- what did you say? Oh, man. It's an even better story than I thought. Almost everybody in this congregation had them over. How did you move someone from the outside to the inside? You did it over tables. You did it over food. It's a beautiful example of how you move someone from the outside to the inside. The, the Greek word for hospitality, philozenia, literally means love of stranger or friend to a stranger. Philo meaning love, xenia meaning stranger. It is the exact opposite of xenophobia, which means fear of stranger. And what we see in the New Testament is that the practice of hospitality is a hallmark of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Let me just give you a few examples from the New Testament. First Peter, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Romans chapter 12, one of my favorite chapters in all of Romans. Paul has laid out all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He's starting to get into what this means for us. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. But in Romans 12, he also has this. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. A response to the the goodness of Jesus Christ is to practice hospitality. And my personal favorite, Hebrews 13, 2, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Hospitality, strangers. Listen to this. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. What if, rather than pulling guns on strangers who knocked on our doors and pull in our driveways, we considered maybe that's an angel? Can we at least model that as followers of Jesus? What might that change if we think, maybe that stranger's not a threat, maybe that stranger's an angel? The New Testament, here's what I want you to see, takes hospitality very seriously. And let's just be honest, if we're as a congregation going to live into our mission statement of being a welcoming community that nurtures disciples of Jesus, we're going to have to be people who are serious about hospitality. Rosaria Butterfly has this, uh, Butterfield in her book, uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, has this great phrase, radically ordinary hospitality. Radically ordinary hospitality. And this is how she describes it. It means using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors 
and neighbors, family of God. It brings glory to God, serves others, strengthens the family of God, and lives out the gospel in word and deed. It is seeing our homes not as our own, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. Having a meal together, uh, sitting around having coffee on your porch, taking time to listen to your neighbor and what they're struggling with, it doesn't seem like very radical things, right? It seems pretty ordinary. But I think more and more, it's getting to be radical. Again, the people in our story, they're alarmed that Zacchaeus is a tax collector. That's what's alarming to them. Think about us when somebody knocks on your door without texting you beforehand. (laughs) Even in my lifetime, it's like, what is wrong? Why is somebody knocking on our door? (laughs) Like, it's totally changed just in my lifetime how we see our houses. Like, we have put up barriers and walls, right? Rather than seeing our homes as a way to further the kingdom of God, they've become our castles in which we wall ourselves off from the world and others. That's just not the biblical model. There's a lot of differences between uh, uh, hospitality and the world, and Jesus' world and ours, and there's challenges we have. I think sometimes we're just too busy. Right? I don't know that it's social shame. I think we're just too busy. I think we're fearful of people that are different than us. Um, maybe we just don't want to open our lives. It's really vulnerable to have people in your house. Like They see your laundry, possibly, and various things going on. But I think there's one that we probably share in common a little bit, especially us church folk, right? there's this kind of feeling that if we let somebody in and eat with them, that might be interpreted as approving everything they do. Right? If we're eating them, it means I'm approving of whatever is happening. And this is what's at the heart of our story of Zacchaeus. Remember, Zacchaeus, he's not a wee little man. He's a guy you want to punch in the face. Right? That you got to get that straight. Like, he is not, not as Mennonites, we're not going to punch him, but we would, <laughs> we would struggle with it like everybody else. He's not just doing something wrong, he's collaborating with an enemy, and he's getting rich off your misery. We should be able to totally understand why people are upset that Jesus is having over. Because it seems like Zacchaeus is getting off the hook. He's gotten rich, he's created all these problems in the community, and it looks like, oh, Jesus is just fine with whatever's happening. But is that really happening? Because notice Zacchaeus in our story. Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house, accepts him, and then Zacchaeus stands up and says this, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus accepted Zacchaeus. I'm pretty sure Jesus did not approve of what Zacchaeus was doing. Zacchaeus, let's just be clear here, because we're going to have to try to walk this balance through here with this passage. Zacchaeus needs repentance, period. Zacchaeus needs to make some big changes in his life. Zacchaeus needs to do a 180. He needs to utterly reorient his life and to repent. And that's exactly what happens. Half his possessions, gone to the poor. Anyone he's cheated, four times he's going to repay him. Imagine if that happened today. Imagine you're, you're walking with someone who's learning about the Lord, and, and they come to this Uh, saving relationship with Jesus, and they say, I'm ready to give half my possessions away. You would probably say, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not get carried away here, right? How about a donation to the local food pantry? Like, we should be uncomfortable by what Zacchaeus is doing. 
The thing is, Zacchaeus is doing what happens again and again in the Gospels. He's doing some wild and crazy and extravagant stuff after encountering Jesus. Levi walks away from his job as a tax collector. A woman bathes Jesus' feet with her tears, dries those same feet with her hair. Zacchaeus, boom, half his possessions are gone. Let's be honest. We've so often domesticated what it means to follow Jesus that we're more alarmed by this kind of response than we are encouraged and inspired by it. Zacchaeus is a model of extravagant behavior, repentance, after an encounter with Jesus. Right? Look at the guy. He's so desperate to catch a glimpse of Jesus. He's like a little kid. He's going to climb up in a tree. He doesn't care what people think. He's going to get a glimpse of Jesus. People are upset that he's hosting Jesus. He doesn't care because he's, got, he's zeroed in on the one thing that matters, Jesus Christ. And when he encounters Jesus Christ, his world is rocked so much, half his possessions in an instant are gone. And that's good. Zacchaeus needs to do a 180. Zacchaeus doesn't need a little prayer. He needs to reorient his life. Zacchaeus, as Jesus says, is lost. Let's not miss that in the story. Right? Again, we're going to try to find this balance beam of both acceptance, but Jesus is very clear that Zacchaeus is lost. I think this story does an amazing job of giving us sympathy for Zacchaeus, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that he's not lost. No one in our story thinks what Zacchaeus is doing is okay. The people grumbling about Zacchaeus, they don't think it's okay. Zacchaeus doesn't think he, what he's doing is okay. That's why when he has this encounter with Jesus, he immediately uh, recognizes the wrongs he's done in the past and offers restitution. Jesus doesn't think what Zacchaeus is doing okay. Zacchaeus is in the category of lost. Right? That's important for us to see. Right, we've got to get that. Again, we're trying to walk this balance between, but, but, but what makes that possible? It's acceptance. Right? Zacchaeus doesn't repent and then Jesus says, okay, now I can go into your house and have this meal. No, Jesus accepts Zacchaeus which then opens up the door for Zacchaeus to repent. Right? Acceptance, this is a little bit hard, acceptance and approval are not the same thing. Right? Jesus ate with sinners, Jesus didn't sin with sinners. Right? This is hard. Jesus does this beautifully because he's Jesus. We are messy. We don't do this so beautifully, this acceptance without necessarily approval thing. This is hard work. Right? Oftentimes, there's different ways we can go. One, we don't want anything to do with them. Again, if we eat with these people, it'll mean that we approve of their behavior. We can't do that. But there's another extreme, too. We want people to feel accepted. Good. We want people to feel loved. Yes. We want them We want to approve of what they're doing. Why? Why is so often we then take that next step to approve what they're doing? Because we want people to do the same thing to ourselves. Let's be honest, we do not want people to challenge sinful patterns in our life. We do not want people to challenge areas of our life that have not come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We want to be accepted, and we want what we're already doing to be approved. That's just human nature. And there's this feeling that if somebody doesn't then approve, they haven't accepted us. But here's my answer to that. Nobody approves of everything everyone else is doing. Let me just go with my marriage. My wife, I believe, loves me dearly. I have no doubt about that. 
And I think I can safely say over 15 years of marriage, my wife has not approved of everything I've done. You don't even have to go back 15 years. You can go back like probably 15 days days or five. (laughs) So one of the gifts and challenges of marriage and raising children, in my experience, is that it pushes you to see yourself as you actually are. The good, the bad, the ugly parts of you are exposed. And I find it very hard to face my own brokenness and sin in my marriage and family. Oftentimes, when it does come up, the first thing I want to do is justify it, (laughs) why I'm justified in doing whatever I did. But thankfully, I've had this space in a marriage. I've had uh, the safety and acceptance of a wife who loves me, who is committed to me for the long haul, to give me space to change. Acceptance makes repentance possible. It's exactly what's happening in our story. Jesus accepts Zacchaeus and in doing so gives him the space to repent. How does Jesus accept Zacchaeus? He eats with him. Henry Nouwen says this, hospitality means primarily the creation of free space where the strange can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. He said, hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. Just think about how different Jesus' approach to the stranger is than most of our cultures. Just think, for, think about your, daily, your week, how much energy social media and various news organizations put into making you fearful of the stranger, of making you fearful of the person that is different than you. Social media has algorithms that select content that evoke anger and outrage in people because that maximizes our engagement. And that's how they make money. That is not Jesus' model. Jesus' model is the opposite of that. Jesus' model is not xenophobia, it's hospitality, it's philoxenia. Jesus doesn't want to get your money like those news organizations do. He wants you to give your money away to the poor. That's very different. Anybody who's trying to make money you off the news, be leery of them. Jesus is not doing that. He doesn't want your money. He wants it to go to the poor like Zacchaeus. Jesus models so beautifully hospitality. He models walking that line of saying, we're going to accept Zacchaeus, but we're not going to pretend like Zacchaeus doesn't have some serious change to make in his life. This is why we worship Jesus. We're not going to do it perfectly. Jesus does it perfectly. But we do need to seek to be hospitable people. Let's just think, let's just end here this morning with some practical things. If hospitality is a spiritual practice of disciples, which I absolutely think it is, and if Jesus used this practice to make disciples, which I think he absolutely did, how do we do this? I think one of the first things we need to do is differentiate between hospitality and entertainment. Right? It's not that there's never a place for entertainment, but we just need to recognize, especially as our understanding as disciples of Jesus, That's not our understanding, right? Let's think about what entertainment is. Entertainment tends to be breaking out your best dishes, your your best plateware, but also your best cooking. And, you know, you want to kind of show off a little bit when you're entertaining. right? You're trying to kind of project an image of who you are. You want the house to look perfect. You want the food to be perfect. Entertainment is a lot of times mostly gathering people you already want to be with, who share your politics, who share your faith, who share your interests. Hospitality is very different. Hospitality is inviting people into your home and your life as it is. It's usually simple food. 
It's laundry strewn around the house. It's the house not being as clean as you wish it were. It's wild things happening at the dinner table when you have four kids. Being with people that are different than you. Like, there are multiple problems that happen when we mix up hospitality and entertainment. For, for one, we're just not going to do it regularly. Going back to Butterfield's definition, this is something we should be working to, in the rhythm of our lives, but if, if, if it's entertainment, it's going to be so exhausting, we're never going to want to do it on a regular basis. The other thing is it limits who can host, right? If hospitality is entertainment, then it's only those with spotless homes or big enough homes or people who know how to cook up a four-course meal, or people who have families, they're going to be able to show hospitality. That's not what hospitality is. Hospitality is offering what you have. You can be single and offer hospitality. That's wonderful. You don't have to be a cook, and you can offer hospitality. Hospitality is also sometimes messy and sometimes awkward. Hospitality is messy because people actually see us how we are. Like, we can, you and I, we can hide a lot right here, right? We can project anything we want. You come into my house, it's going to be harder for me to project that image. It's going to be harder for you to project. You're going to know me as I am, and I'm going to know you better as you are. It doesn't always go as you planned. I'm sure many of you have stories where things at the dinner table did not go as you expected, right? I had a fairly recent experience with nobody in this congregation, nobody that even lived near here. Just to be clear, you do not know this person, <laughs> A couple people came and stayed at our house, and I'll just be honest with you, the conversation was awkward and just slightly offensive. And here's what came to my mind at one point in the conversation. Maybe they're angels. <laughs> I'm serious. I thought, maybe they're angels, and maybe they're messing with me. God, I'm sure God has a great sense of humor, but... It's, it's awkward. It's messy. That's just part of it. Right? But remember, hospitality doesn't mean love of the person you already love. It means love of the stranger, love of our neighbor, love of the person we don't know, love of the person who doesn't know God yet. Because when you gather around a table, not always, like I said, strange things happen and beautiful things happen, just like in the story of Zacchaeus. Last, just one last thing about hospitality. Hospitality is about being a host and a guest. Right? If we're going to be a healthy community, we're going to be both host and guest. And that's one of the interesting things about our story is that Zacchaeus, there's like this exchange of hospitality between Zacchaeus and Jesus. Zacchaeus provides hospitality to Jesus, but in that hospitality, Zacchaeus finds the hospitality of God. One of the things that happens when you get to eat at the table with Jesus, when, when you're, at, you're close enough for Jesus to reach out and touch you, is that you find that there's something more valuable than whatever sin or idols you're leaving behind. That's what you got to have. you got to sit at table with the living Jesus and realize, yeah, I may struggle with these things, but they are nothing compared to what's in front of me. And we do this, we show hospitality because God has shown hospitality to us. God accepted us while we were still enemies. That's what we read in Romans. He died for us in the person of Jesus Christ, while we are still enemies, how could we not accept others? And just last thing, if you do not know this Jesus, just look at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus will stop at nothing to get to this Jesus. He will climb trees. He will deal with all the hubbub of the village just to be with Jesus. 
Don't let anything hold you back from Jesus.